Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to finish off this section of Scripture that we started off last week. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 24. We're going to read all the way through verse 27. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for all the activity of the church Thank you, God, for what we did yesterday, Lord, as a church body to just minister, Lord God, in our own backyard. We don't have to go to India or Pakistan or across the world. Lord God, we could literally go across the street and minister to those that are hurting and lost. And we thank you, God, for this day that you've blessed us with, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your presence, for this sanctuary, this building. Lord God, thank you for the freedom that we have to speak your word, Lord God, and to declare it publicly. Be with our children out there, Lord God, and uh, that you would bless the children's ministry and help the children to grow in their, in their faith in you, Jesus. So, Father, we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 24. This is what the Bible says. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, as I mentioned already, last week we began looking at this section of Scripture, and we began to look at the life of a gentleman by the name of Moses. Many of you that have been raised in church or that have gone to church, the name of Moses is very familiar. You've heard of him. Those of you that are just joining us, that are new, that uh, really don't know a lot about the Bible, this uh, gentleman named Moses was very, very special, mentioned a lot in the Bible. And we learned last week uh, the following about Moses' early life. First of all, he was born to Jewish parents. His father's name was Amram, and his mother's name was Joshebed. We learned that Moses also had an older brother, and his name was Aaron, and he had a younger sister, and her name was Miriam. And uh, even though Moses was born Hebrew to Jewish parents, we learned that Moses' life was mercilessly saved or miraculously spared and saved by Pharaoh's Egyptian daughter, at a time when thousands of Hebrew boys were being drowned and murdered by Pharaoh in the Nile River. But God had mercy on Moses. He spared his life. And uh, Pharaoh's daughter took him in and raised him. So Moses was born Hebrew but raised in Pharaoh's household as an Egyptian. And Moses became a great Egyptian prince and leader. But last week we focused on verse 24. And in verse 24, the Bible tells us that eventually Moses grew up. Listen to what it says in Hebrews eleven twenty-four: By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now the Bible, again, does not give us any information about how Moses came to faith. But somehow, some way, when Moses grew up, he realized that he was not Egyptian but Hebrew. He realized that Pharaoh was just a man and not God. He realized that there was one greater than Pharaoh and his household. When Moses grew up, he realized and he discovered the true and living God. I don't know about you, but how many of you get excited when you remember the day that you 
discovered the true and living God. That day that you were lost, you were on your way to hell, but then Jesus invaded your life and you came to faith and now here you are in church serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How many of you thank God for that day? Can you say amen in your life? Well, Moses had that kind of an experience too. And he realized that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was real. And he was God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of the visible and the invisible world. Moses had the opportunity to rule the kingdoms of the world, but Moses grew up. And somehow he discovered that he was a child of God and that he belonged to God's household. Yes, belonging to Pharaoh's household, that was a big deal. But belonging to God's household was a bigger deal, and it was a better deal for Moses. He had discovered his true identity in God, and he discovered that being a child of God was greater than being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Being a child of God was greater than being the grandson of Pharaoh. What did we learn last week? Church, how many of you would agree with me, even though you don't want to admit it? We all have to grow up. Can you say amen? We all have to grow up and mature in the things of God. We have to grow up and realize that in Christ, we are God's people. We are God's children. We belong to Almighty God. We are His property. We are on the Lord's side. We have the Holy Spirit to empower us. We don't have to be afraid or intimidated by anyone or anything. Why? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Can you say amen, church? The kingdoms of this world, the things of this world may look impressive, but in Christ, we are citizens of a kingdom that far surpasses the kingdoms of this world. We are in this world, but we are living for someone and for something that is greater than this present reality. We belong to the Lord and we're living to glorify God. That is our purpose and our goal. That's why we're here in church, to keep us focused on Jesus. Can you say amen? We need to stay focused on the Lord. John 18, 36 says this. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Listen, don't let yourself get too comfortable down here. We have a better place to look forward to, and that place is with Jesus Christ up in heaven, church. So in our text found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, we learn that Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused or rejected the pomp and the prestige and special attention and the status and the power and the wealth of Egypt. And instead, he chose what? He chose what it tells us in Hebrews 11, 25. It says this, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose to be mistreated. He was pampered. He lived a a pampered life. But when he went on the Lord's side, the Bible says that for Moses, he chose instead to be mistreated. You see, I know that we don't like to hear this, but there will be times in our life Even though we're children of God, even though we're anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, there's still going to be times, because we are children of God, that we will be mistreated. The New King James Version says that Moses chose to suffer affliction. 
And the, as children of God, we will at times have to suffer affliction. And we learn that our ultimate example of being mistreated and suffering affliction is Jesus Christ. I believe that all of us, we just got through Easter and the Passover and Good Friday and everything that goes along with that. And I think any of us who know what Jesus Christ went through on his way to the cross realize that he was severely mistreated, that Jesus suffered affliction. He did it all for us. And we have to realize that sometimes as the people of God, God will ask us to do the same for him. Do you love the Lord enough where you are willing to be mistreated? I don't know if you do. I hope you do. But that's why we're here, because sometimes we do have to be mistreated. And we have to realize that sometimes as the people of God, we will have to do this for the Lord, to be willing to be mistreated for the sake of Christ. The sign of a mature Christian, a Christian that has grown up, will be that when he or she is mistreated, they will remain faithful to following Christ. Did you hear what I just said, church? Even when you are mistreated, even when I am mistreated, it's not an excuse to give up on the Lord. We still have to stay faithful to our God. Looking back at history, I know that many of us, as pastors criticized the Jewish people for their lack of faith when they crossed the Red Sea and they escaped Egypt and they traveled through the wilderness, they had a chance to enter the promised land. And sadly, uh, when Moses sent in the 12 tribes, 12 spies uh, to look over the promised land. Ten of them came back with a negative report. And Joshua and Caleb, of course, they came back with a, with a positive report. Uh, the other ten came back with a negative report. As a result of that negative report, the Bible tells us that a whole generation of Israelites died in the wilderness. They never got to experience the promised land or the promise of God. But at the same time, at the same time, we have to admire the fact that before even Moses came on the scene, the Jewish people who had been slaves for over 400 years, and before even Moses came on the scene, even though the Jewish people were severely mistreated by the Egyptians as slaves, even though the Jewish people were slaves and whipped and tortured and abused by the Egyptians, the Jewish people remained faithful to God. For over 400 years of mistreatment, the Jewish people remained faithful to God. They never gave up on God. Hate to say this. I hate to admit this, but sometimes I just get a flat tire and I'm already ready to give up on God. These guys went through 400 years of severe mistreatment because they were slaves and they never lost hope in the Lord. And we got to give them some credit for that, church. That's hard. We, too, need to grow up and realize that at times we will be mistreated both outside and inside the church. Yes, inside the church. Some of us can be kind of mean to each other in the church. But we still have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Verse 25 mentions something else. The fleeting pleasures of sin. Hebrews 11.25 says this, He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The reality is that resisting sin is hard. Maybe not for you, but I'm telling you up here, as a man of God, as a pastor, every day it is a battle for me, and I confess to you, it is a battle for me to resist 
sin. There's a lot of good stuff out there that the enemy wants to offer me, and I have to resist it. I have to say no to it. And if we're Christians, we're all in the same battle. We're all filled with the Holy Spirit, but resisting sin is a challenge. We love reading the Word of God, but resisting sin is a challenge. We love going to church. We love praising the Lord and worshiping our God, but if we're real, we're going to admit that resisting sin is hard. It's, 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 a, it's a challenge. <clears throat> Saying no to something that you want and is forbidden by God is hard. Resisting sin is painful and requires sacrifice and discipline. If you're single and lonely, resisting and fleeting the pleasures of sin is hard. If you're in a difficult marriage, in a miserable marriage, resisting fleeting the, the, resisting the fleeting pleasures of sin is hard. If you are in a financial crisis and need money really bad, resisting the fleeting pleasures of sin is hard. If you're angry with someone and want to hurt them and seek revenge, resisting the fleeting pleasures of sin is hard. Is anyone out there human like me and it's hard to resist sin? Can you say amen? You're willing to admit it. Okay, it's a battle that we have to deal with every single day. So again, the Bible tells us that when Moses grew up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and instead chose to be mistreated. When Moses grew up, he chose to reject the fleeting pleasures of sin. And now today we want to continue in this section of scripture and look at verse 26. It says this in Hebrews eleven twenty-six. it says, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, I don't know about you, but this just keeps getting worse and worse. We went from being mistreated to now being disgraced. First, God is telling us that being a child of God is greater than being the son of Pharaoh's daughter or desiring the things that the world has to offer. Secondly, God is telling us that being a child of God means that we will have to deal with being mistreated at times. Thirdly, God is telling us that being a child of God means that we will have to deny ourselves the fleeting pleasures of sin. And now in verse 26, God is telling us that being a child of God means that we may have to deal with experiencing disgrace for the sake of Christ. What is the definition of disgrace? Loss of reputation or respect as a result of a dishonorable action to bring shame or discredit on someone or something. Now, again, the Bible doesn't give us any details about how Moses came to faith, faith or what he went through uh, when he came to faith in God. But the Bible mentions that he experienced being disgraced. Let's try to use some common sense here and see if we can get a picture of what Moses went through. He was a prince of Egypt. He was on his way to becoming the next pharaoh of Egypt. A position of complete power, complete control of the world, wealth, and influence. And then he decides to reject his Egyptian mother. He decides to reject the pharaoh. He decides to reject Egypt and what it has to offer. He decides to reject everything that Egypt represents. And to make things worse, Moses chooses to side with the Hebrews instead of the Egyptians. In other words, Moses chooses to side with the enemy instead of Pharaoh. Moses chooses even to kill an Egyptian in order to defend a Hebrew. This is treason. This is 
backstabbing. This is sabotage. This is betraying your own country and aiding your enemy as far as the Egyptians are concerned. And as a result, Moses gets rejected by Pharaoh and Egypt. He is disgraced. He loses his reputation. He loses all respect. He is dishonored. The only thing we know is that he eventually becomes a fugitive. So Moses went from being the prince of Egypt to becoming a fugitive and running for his life. Let's read Exodus 2, verses 11 through 15. Let's read really quickly what it says here. Exodus 2, verse 11, it says, One day... After Moses had grown up, there it is again. After Moses had grown up, the same thing that we read in Hebrews eleven twenty four. After Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Then after 40 years of hiding in Midian, Moses is now 80 years old and has an encounter with the living God. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them cry out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And remember, I, call, I personally call all these people the termites. Okay, Verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians uh, are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And then God even gives Moses the ability to miraculously make a shepherd's wooden staff turn into a snake and to inflict leprosy and to heal leprosy and to turn the water of the Nile River into blood. And we read about this in Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Let me read it for you. It says this. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. 
So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe the two, these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So here's Moses. And he goes back to Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, he hooks up or he meets up with all his Jewish brothers and sisters, and he tells them about this visitation that he had from God Almighty, and he actually shows them or demonstrates to them the miraculous ability that he has with his wooden staff and with the leprosy and with the water. And so he tells the Israelites of God's plan that God is sending them back to Egypt and he's going to set the people free and they're going to go to the promised land, the, milk, the land of milk and honey. And so all the, all the Israelis, all the Jewish people, they're excited. They said, oh, man, after 400 years of slavery we're finally going to see the fulfillment of god's promise we're going to be set free from this bondage and they start celebrating they start making plans of what they're going to do when they're set free what they're going to do when they get to the promised land and so then moses goes to pharaoh and he feels confident and he feels good because he has god backing him up and he has the power of God and the miraculous ability to, to do these supernatural things from the Lord. And he has a stick in his hand. And he faces uh, Pharaoh. And Moses goes to Pharaoh. And he tells Pharaoh to let the people go. And Pharaoh responds by mocking Moses. Even though Moses showed him all these supernatural signs and wonders, Pharaoh mocks Moses, and Moses is disgraced before Pharaoh. Are you guys getting this picture? He's disgraced. Pharaoh rejects Moses, and instead of releasing the Israelites, Pharaoh intensifies their suffering and makes their suffering even worse. So now Moses is disgraced by Pharaoh. He's rejected by Pharaoh. He's made to look like a fool before Pharaoh. He is mocked by Pharaoh, and Moses goes back to his people, the Israelis or the Jewish people. He goes back, and then listen to how the Jewish people respond to him. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of each of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in, his hand, in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? 
Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. So here's what happened to Moses. He was disgraced when he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he became a fugitive. He was disgraced when he went back to Pharaoh 40 years later, and instead of Pharaoh releasing the Israelites... Pharaoh mocked Moses and God and the powerful works of God. And thirdly, Moses was disgraced in front of his own Israelite people. Instead of Pharaoh letting the people go, Pharaoh got meaner and harsher and crueler and more cold-blooded. And so now the Israelites hated Moses, and Moses is not a hero. He is disgraced. He has failed in his mission. Are you guys getting this picture? Now, I know that we all know the end of the story. But at this time, Moses was disgraced in front of Pharaoh and in front of God's people and with himself. Now, let's see if we have the courage to be real here this morning about this word, disgrace. Serving God and yet having to deal with not only mistreatment, but disgrace. Let's say, for example, you're a single guy or a single girl, and you've been single for a number of years, praying and praying and praying, like so many singles in here right now are praying for that right person to come into your life, and finally you meet someone, and you fall in love with each other, and you make plans to get married, and you plan out the wedding, and you show up for the wedding, And the love of your life does not come down the aisle. Or girls, the guy does not show up for the wedding day. And then you find out that they hooked up with their old lover and eloped. And you're there waiting at the altar and what? In disgrace. Yet you love the Lord. You're faithful to the Lord. You're committed to the Lord. But here you are, disgraced in front of all the people of God in that church and in front of all those people that you care about. You getting this picture, church? Or what if you're working for a company and you're doing great work for that company and you're doing so well that the company CEO tells you that you're going to get promoted and he tells you about this great position and you're going to be making this much money and you're excited, and you start sharing it with your employee, with the other employees, and they're excited for you, and, and, you, and, and you're looking forward to that. And then at the last minute, at the last minute, you even went out and you celebrated with all your coworkers and your family because you're going to get this promotion, and you got this favor. And, and then at the last minute, your boss calls you in, and he says, I've changed my mind. I've given the position to someone else. And there you stand, disgraced. You love the Lord. You go to church faithfully. You serve the Lord. You're living for the Lord. You're doing the best that you can for the Lord. And there you are in disgrace. Are you guys getting this picture? Can you say amen? Another example. You don't like these examples, I know. You're married. And You become a Christian, but your spouse is not a Christian. 
And let's say they're addicted to drugs or they're addicted to something. And you're believing and you're praying that God is going to save your husband or God is going to save your wife. And you're praying and believing, but still, your husband or your wife keeps going back to the drugs or keeps going back to the alcohol or keeps going back to whatever they're addicted to. And your parents who are not saved are telling you, man, divorce that guy, divorce that girl. All your coworkers at work, they see you going to work, brokenhearted. They see you going to work because your husband or your wife spent all your money, all your paycheck on their drugs. And they divorce that guy, divorce that girl. And all your friends tell you, you're so stupid. You're so dumb. Just get a divorce. They're never going to come to, they're never going to get right. And, and, and you hold on and you hold on and you hold on. And month after month, week after week, year after year, you hold on and you hold on. And nothing ever changes. And you have to deal with disgrace. This is all real stuff, church, that happens to people like you and to people like me. We have kids, and sometimes we're believing for our kids to get right, and they don't, and we feel disgrace. All kinds of things that happen. Disgrace is a terrible thing to experience. And yet our God is letting us know that there are times that we may have to experience the pain of being disgraced. My question, our question here today, do we love God enough that even though it means that we have to experience being disgraced about something that we're believing for, something that we're believing in, it could be a healing and we keep crying out to God that we're for that healing and we keep believing God for that healing and instead of things getting better, they get worse just like they did for the Israelites. They got worse. And everybody looks at us like, you're crazy. Why do you keep trusting God? Why do you keep believing God? Why do you keep following God? And you sit there and you stand there trusting in the Lord in disgrace. Because things are not changing or getting better. Now here's the thing. If you face disgrace because you have been caught in a sinful or shameful act, then all you can expect is humiliation and extreme loss, both in this life and in the next. But here is the good news. Here's some good news. If you are facing disgrace for the sake of Christ, if you are facing disgrace for the sake of Christ, you're holding on and staying in that marriage for the sake of Christ. You're believing for your son or daughter for the sake of Christ. You're going to keep working and keep believing for the sake of Christ. You keep following Jesus for the sake of Christ. Even though you're mistreated, even though you're disgraced, you stay faithful to the Lord. God says this, if you are facing disgrace for the sake of Christ, God promises us a great reward. Now, you and I may not see it in this life. I know that we love to talk positive and encouraging and, and that everything's going to work out great and wonderful and well and everything's going to be rosy and in the tulips. But sometimes we have to be mistreated and sometimes we have to go through disgrace and sometimes fighting against sin is hard and we have to deal with it and we have to deal with the harsh reality of it and sometimes things don't work in our favor and we still have to face God and stay faithful to him. Let's look at our text again. By faith, 
Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. First Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. In other words, you're doing it for the Lord. You don't deserve it. You, there, there, it's, it's unjust, but you're going through it because of your faith in God. Verse 20, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. A few more scriptures. Psalm 62, verses 11 and 12. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. Listen, our God is invisible, but he sees and he knows everything. He is omniscient. That means he knows everything. He is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere and he sees everything. And he is omnipotent. That means he is all powerful. Proverbs 9, 12. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Isaiah 40, 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. What is God saying? Listen, whatever you're going through right now, it will not even come close to comparing to the reward and to the blessing that awaits you in eternity up in heaven. You got to hold on to the Lord. You got to trust the Lord. You got to stay in that marriage. You got to stay faithful to your children. You got to stay faithful to your family. You got to hold on to God and do what is right and honorable and pleasing in his sight. Don't worry about what people say. Don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about your reputation. Don't worry about what's going on you keep your focus on the lord and god says you do that and you will receive a reward one day musicians if i could have you come back up here please while they're coming up just a couple more scriptures isaiah forty ten. see the sovereign lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm see his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him Isaiah 62, 11, almost the same thing. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter Zion, see, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Jeremiah 32, 19, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. Matthew 16, 27, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. 
Colossians 3, 24. Go ahead and play the, start playing the first chord as soon as you guys are ready. Colossians 3, 24. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. You are doing it for Jesus. It's no longer about you and it's no longer for you. It's no longer about me and it's no longer for me. Everything that we do, everything that we go through is for the glory of Almighty God. And if we have to stand there looking disgraced, if we have to stand there being mistreated, if we have to stand there dealing with all this madness and all this chaos while people criticize and people mock and people make us feel like we're worthless or nothing, it doesn't matter. God sees it. God knows it. God is involved and God will reward and he will get the glory for you staying faithful to him. Let's worship the Lord with this song that we sang earlier with the worship team.